Hello and welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. We Ain't Got No History's official Chelsea podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Funnel. And as always, I am joined by my lovely fellow coach. Uh, coach? Well, yeah, kind of coach. <laughs> Co-host, I mean, of course, Ram. Hi, Ram. Hi, yeah. Uh, nice, interesting offbeat introduction. Hello. <laughs> well, I thought... I'd try to be a bit happy, you know, brought some happiness in here because I'm sure you'll be a bit depressed after what happened at Bournemouth and yeah, oh, you know me. <laughs> and Brentford and, you know, and all the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe it's a good time to talk about football and we are joined today by a special guest. Uh, we have already spoken Recently, uh, before a game that we would rather forget, but we have Jake Fenner from Bavarian Football Works. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. And we're, we, we're glad to have you, but please do tell our um, listeners where you are currently. <laughs> <laughs> so I am originally from and currently live in the American state of Connecticut in New England, a.k.a. the better England. And we <laughs> unfortunately had a tropical storm come up the East Coast. It started out in uh, the Carolinas and then moved further north all the way up to New England. Uh, Connecticut has a lot of trees down right now. And as we speak, I believe 600,000 customers in the state are without power. So I'm currently recording this from the only place that I could find a good data connection, which is in my car parked outside of a Dunkin' Donuts next to a highway. So it's not the most ideal setup, but I mean, it, it's we got to record this episode, so it'll do for now, I guess. Well, that's what I call commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely commitment. Uh, yeah, well, talking about commitment, uh, it's been quite the ride this season. Uh, quite different rides from a Chelsea and Bayern perspective, but exciting ones nonetheless. And we are going to have this or structure this podcast today into three parts where first we will be talking about... Uh, how the season has gone for Chelsea. We have had the last game of the Premier League season. We have had, unfortunately, the FA Cup final. Uh, we do still have our Champions League game, and that will be the second part of this podcast today where we'll be previewing that. Um, maybe not the most uh, exciting prospect from a Chelsea perspective, but it has to be done nevertheless. Uh, it is a game, and we will still Chelsea play. And finally, we will be talking, of course, about transfers. We are already in the transfer window. It is open. We have an expert on German football here, and we will use that time to talk about Chelsea's new signing, maybe even signings very soon. You never know. Leverkusen are currently playing against Rangers. And yeah, that's how we're going to do it today. And I'm just going to start straight off here, uh, lads. We're going to start with Chelsea. Uh, this being a Chelsea podcast. Chelsea season been a bit of a mixed batch, hasn't it? Um, Jake, what do you think from a outside perspective? How would you characterize Frank Lampard's first season at Chelsea? 
I said this back on an episode that we did with one of your uh, fellow co-workers, uh, Andre Carlisle. I sat there and I thought to myself at the very, very start of this season when Frank Lampard came in, it made sense, at least from a personnel standpoint, right? Frank Lampard is a legend at Chelsea. It's almost certain that he was going to come in and manage the club at some point, whether or not it would be successful is a completely different uh, question. But the thing that kind of made me sit there and scratch my head was the timing of it all, because Frank Lampard will probably go down for Chelsea as a relatively accomplished manager. But when I saw that he got hired only one season after he started at Derby County and didn't even do decently enough at Derby County to try to get them promoted. He, he had a good first season as a manager, but I don't know why exactly that equated itself to automatically becoming the manager of one of the six best teams in all of England. It almost seems like it's destined to repeat itself down in Barcelona where they're trying to get Xavi to come in and become their manager. But I will say this, right? From an outsider's perspective, to recharacterize and rephrase that statement, I think it's a miracle that a manager that only spent one season at Derby County and didn't get them promoted was able to take a team and put them in the top four of the league and put them in a Champions League spot. Now, of course, things had been a mixed bag towards the end of the season, as you had mentioned, right? You saw a phenomenal game against Liverpool that didn't necessarily go your way. But I looked at that game and I watched that game and I saw that there's the bare bones structure of a Chelsea team that's willing to go out, willing to attack. But the only question is whether or not Lampard's going to be able to man manage that team well enough. Right, You have a player like N'Golo Conte that he ran for 90 minutes almost every game, week in and week out, to the point where he injured himself. And that's just something that is going to come with time as a manager. You're going to be able... You've got to have that time to like realize your tactics, realize your starting lineup, and mix it around and really truly find a lineup and a setting, if you will, that makes the most sense for your team in the long run. Did he do that this year? No. Do I think he will next year? Of course, because now the transfer ban is lifted. He's able to bring in the players that he wants, which, you know, we get to talk about later. But for now, I think with what he had with a transferless Chelsea team, being a manager that only, again, spent one year at Derby County, I'm kind of impressed, and I think that Chelsea fans should sit back and realize how lucky they were, because this could have gone two ways. This could have gone either the way that it did. I don't think you guys were going to win the Premier League this year, obviously, because of how good teams like Manchester City and Liverpool were, but the other way could have been you were finishing 12th or maybe even getting relegated because Lampard really was just utterly clueless. That didn't happen for you guys. And if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd be sitting there thanking my lucky stars that it went the other way. Well, it appears you have more faith in Frank Lampard than about 
65 percent of the fan base already so also not a chelsea fan so i'm a bit <laughs> more realist than others oh no i like it it's very very refreshing to hear i was um in a, at another time i might have thought of drawing a parallel to hansi flick but then i realized that's probably a different situation given he's been in and around the managerial game even just as an assistant mm-hmm. for like i think a couple decades now yeah uh yeah it's, it's just kind of lost on me as to how old he actually is but yeah anyway i digress and i i do agree with you on a, on basically everything you said for what it's worth because that's kind of what we were thinking basically going into the season that we didn't really have or rather we deemed it more prudent to not have very high expectations from Lampard going into this season for all the caveats that you just mentioned a different makeup of squad to deal with in addition to the departure of a talismanic player such as Eden Hazard and Lampard himself not having much experience so it was kind of like the theme of our season was development i think you would agree with that based on what he just said because not only did we develop a bunch of young players we also tried to help the team develop some sort of identity at the same time that the manager is doing the same himself so i think all things considered it did go a lot better than it did go a lot better than it could have mm-hmm. and i don't think Jimmy and I are too disappointed with the fourth place finish although there might be something that could be said about the FA Cup final I'm not sure if you caught that game but does that would it have changed your perception of the season at all if he had if they had somehow won that FA Cup final um I don't necessarily think so I I already I already think that being a second year manager at a top at a second year manager for your entire career and with your other year being at a top club and getting a top 4 finish is an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah, of course you would have wanted to want, win the FA Cup, but there were a lot of obstacles in your way and whether that came in the form of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or Anthony Taylor, you were going to have those obstacles regardless. But I think that looking at that game and I did I did watch that game a little bit. Pulisic's goal in the 5th minute was phenomenal. The so team <laughs> until that penalty from what I saw it looked pretty cohesive. They still yeah. had counterattacking ability and I don't I don't I personally wouldn't be too worried. I think Chelsea fans need to realize that they're playing a long game right now with Frank Lampard. You don't want to burn this out too quickly. You don't want to even worse, right? Say Lampard has an absolutely terrible year next season, right? And then you had another terrible season the year after that. With this year with not that much success, you could arguably fire Frank Lampard, but imagine if you tried to have that conversation 3 years down the line and he had won a trophy. it would have been immensely harder to convince people to say oh he's probably not worth it because you had silverware under your belt right so i think this first year is a great start off point for lampard not to mention i'll just add this 
if Frank Lampard comes in, like I'm, I'm of the opinion that your transfer ban may have been a blessing in disguise because if you really think about it, knowing Chelsea's tendency to send players out on loan, Reese James might not have played for you guys. Tammy Abraham may not have played for you guys. They may both have gone off somewhere else and you would have been starting a back three of probably maybe you had to recall Ake from loan, Kurt Zuma, and Christensen, whereas you don't get that pace from James at all. And not to mention up front, you'd probably be starting a front three of William, Olivier Giroud, and Pedro, and you wouldn't have that scoring prowess that Tammy Abraham has. So I think that this year was a great year for Chelsea to go out and develop some players in the league because, let's face it, you can send your players out to different leagues and it's not going to replicate your own league. And I'll say that for anything, right? I'll say that for Bundesliga. I'll say that for La Liga. I'll say that for the Premier League. All three of those leagues kind of have different core identities and different styles of play that are so vastly different from what you see in a club's home league. It might screw a player up, see Juan Cuadrado to the point where he ended up going to Juventus while he was out on his loan because he became very well suited to Serie A and Chelsea didn't necessarily need him. So going back to the point of the FA Cup, I wouldn't necessarily be too afraid about that. Of course, you would have wanted that silverware in there, but you get to sit back and realize what I what I realized from that was that if Anthony Taylor didn't necessarily red card a couple of players Chelsea would have yeah. had a really really great performance and to me looking at the team structure and the build of them I wouldn't be too terrified I wouldn't I wouldn't be that upset with Chelsea's performance even though you guys didn't win the cup must have I, I think I think Jake might be my favorite person at the moment <laughs> for, for recognizing all the good things that Lampard has done this season, actually, all the good things that have gone our way, uh, that and and one of them being Tammy Abraham's scoring prowess, which people are seemingly very afraid to admit, or I don't know what it is, but yeah, that's that's excellent. Um, personally, I was kind of gutted losing another FA Cup final to Arsenal, but. I also understand that it wouldn't have made that much difference to my post-season assessment. So, basically, the same as you. There were a lot of there were a lot of good things to take out of it. So, I'm just gonna choose to do that and acknowledge how it could have very easily gone the other direction. And plus, there were uh, there was more than one external factor involved in the way that result played out. So, I I. I am more than willing to accept that. And Jimmy, since we haven't had a word from you on the FA Cup final, any any thoughts before we move on to looking at the Bayern game? Yeah, um, just not only in regard to uh, the, the FA Cup final, but generally this is definitely a season transition. We've said this to thousands of times Um we still have quite a few issues that we have to resolve, but generally speaking, it's, it has been a great, great season. And uh, especially after the restart, because of this pandemic, we have been very good apart from two games. Uh, I've got to say, I was also disappointed after Saturday. That I think there was no Chelsea fan out there that wasn't disappointed. But 
as Jake already said, and there's a lot that we can be happy about and lots of positives we can take from it, just like you also said. But the thing is, why I was so mad after Saturday, it wasn't that we crumbled. I mean, it's not something that you should be doing because if you think of Arsenal after that two-all draw where they also received a red card, um, they managed to struggle back to a, uh, to a draw, you know, and there was always this hope in me that we might somehow uh, clinch, a, you know, that, that get that goal back and um, take this to, to penalties or whatever. But once Kovacic was sent off, it was, that was, it was game over really. And even before that, once that penalty was uh, given to Arsenal, and to be fair, it was a penalty. Aspilicueta was very poor in that situation, and he'll be the first to admit that. Um, we kind of crumbled, and that's something that we still definitely have to work on. That's one of my main issues with the season. That some, and this isn't down to Lampard, because this has been the case for quite a few seasons. That when things aren't going our way, we, you know, let our heads hang down. We kind of lose the plot and that's something that I personally just I, I can't stand that because we had so many characters if, a decade ago who would have never let that happen that's that kind of Chelsea mentality that you want to have um, of course as Liqueta leaving the field Christian Pulisic leaving the field that, that all didn't help because they are those kind of people that drive on the uh, on the team um, but yeah I think it's the way we lost, and this hasn't got something to do per se with Chelsea anymore, but that's why most Chelsea fans were reluctant to be positive after the game and were unhappy. It's the way we lost the game, not that we lost it. For me, that really upset me because Anthony Taylor, that was an absolutely disastrous game. And the first time in since the FA Cup started that a referee was given charge of uh, final it was the first time that he was able to do that for a second time after that 2018 final which there was a lots of controversy because of that handball before the first Arsenal goal yet the FA saw themselves fit to appoint him once more despite that he has given so many red cards against Chelsea and you know I'm not going to talk about conspiracy here but there is clearly an ineptitude of this referee and it's reflected by a lot of the, of the referees in, in England, to be fair, not only Anthony Taylor, who he, he's the most rotten of a whole bunch, but that is something that really has to be worked on. This hasn't got something specifically to do with Chelsea. I just had to say this because VR VAR really has to be worked over this. It's not working the way it is at the moment. It's a great thing to have, but, God's sake, let the referees or make the referees force them to look at those screens and then we wouldn't have had that shenanigans, uh, those shenanigans on Saturday, which did kind of uh, dampen the good mood that we had after making the Champions League against Wolves, which then again was a great performance by Chelsea, a wonderful performance after a great one against Manchester United. So just to round things off... Uh, we have had some great performances and Frank Lampard has won against all the top six and quite a few others. With these new signings that are coming in, I'm hoping that we'll address areas of weakness and then we'll be right in the mix next season. 
so yeah, that that I think that's just to round things off of this season. I'm not going to do too, too much detail about you know the whole Premier League season. We've talked about that the last two episodes, um, and I think every Chelsea fan at the moment is really craving the restart. Uh, not the restart, the the new start of the season, which will be mid-September, uh, the signings that will come until then, and, and, and. However, we've still got one thing to get out of the way, and I say it in this way because it really feels that way. Um, <laughs> Jake, when you asked, uh, when, when we were talking about, you know, recording podcasts, and so you up for it, and do you want to? And I said it blatantly, I don't really want to from a footballing perspective because this isn't a game that one really would look forward to as a Chelsea fan right now. Um, but from a podcasting perspective, we want to talk about this because there is so much to talk about, even if it might end painfully for Chelsea. You know, Bayern have been a deserved winner of that first leg, undoubtedly. Um, it just depends how high they'll win. And maybe I'm negative Nancy here, but... I think this seems pretty dead set on Bayern winning. What do you guys think? Um, I, I'm I'm usually a cautious person. I like to usually kind of reserve things um, until they actually happen. But I think if this game was a three nothing win for Bayern at the Allianz Arena, and then we went to Stamford Bridge. I think that would be a fun and interesting tie. But nevertheless, Bayern's up 3-0 on away goals after winning at Stamford Bridge. They come back to the Allianz Arena. I don't... I, I personally really don't see a way that Chelsea can move forward and advance in this competition, right? Number one being whether or not Pulisic will be ready and able to go from reports that I've seen it seems like he thinks that he's ready to come back but that's a bit that that could be a bit up in the air that could be rushing it too soon and Lampard might even say something to the effect of I don't want to have him make this injury even worse and potentially cut into the next season we're already down three nothing might as well not even play him. Byron's been asking the same questions about Joshua Kimmich, even though we have Benjamin Pavard out for right back, and we're probably in desperate need of a right back. We have a Real Madrid loney and Alvaro Odriozola, but he's been pretty poor for Byron in the two substitute appearances that he's had. So regardless of whether or not Kimmich starts or Odriozola starts, the Bayern team that will start, save for Kingsley Coman, who I just saw this morning was going to be injured, but even then, Bayern gets to put in Ivan Perisic, and he's been phenomenal for Bayern this year on loan, to the point where, even though we've gone out and gotten Leroy Sané, I would love to have Ivan Perisic stay at Bayern, because he's just been phenomenal for us coming off the bench this year. But, what I'm really trying to get at is that the Bayern squad that will play, for the most part, is the same Bayern squad that won every game that they've been a part of since the restart. The first game was a 2-0 win over Union Berlin. 
Later on, we beat Borussia Dortmund 1-0. We beat Fortuna Dusseldorf 5-0, 4-2 against Leverkusen, 2-1 against München Gladbach. And these are all teams that did pretty well for themselves. A 4-0 win over Wolfsburg on the final day, and Bayer Leverkusen didn't really have any chance against Bayern in the uh, in the DFB Pokal Finale at the Olympiastadion in Berlin, and Bayern was up to nothing at the half. It ended up going on to win 4-2. So the team that's going to start for Bayern will be mostly that same team. So in that regard, that's really why I don't know how competitive of a game we're going to get considering right I think the one key piece that Chelsea is going to have back is N'Golo Kante and he never played against Bayern in that first leg because he was injured but do I think that he's going to be the main difference maker against a Bayern team already up three nothing as much as I love N'Golo Conte, I really don't think so. Yep, fair enough. And before we before we continue on looking forward at the Bayern Munich game, we will just take a short break. And welcome back. And alluding to Jake's thoughts before the break, evidently Bayern are pretty hard to beat and they're on fire this season. And also on the back of a domestic double. So... Make of that what you will, and going into the second leg with a 3 0 advantage. So basically, Chelsea's chances of winning this are you can, you can probably bet the same odds as Leicester winning the league in 2015. So take that any way you want. And personally, I don't, I don't think there's much in this game. Chelsea are pretty injury struck at the moment as well, which has led to them. Adding, I think, Daniel Simeu, Armando Proja, Henry Rollins, and Louis Pate. All of them to the, Ian Matson, the championship. Sorry. Yeah, Ian Matson as well. Yeah, Matson as well. All of them to the to the B list for the Champions League, which means that they could all potentially make the match day squad. I think a couple of them will at least, given the number of players who are gonna be missing because uh, we would do well to remember that Jorginho and Marcus Alonso are carrying suspensions and Billy Gilmore's out injured. So I think Lewis Pate at least will definitely be in the squad. Plus you've got William out injured, um, Gulasic's out, Loftus-Cheek is out, Conte is out as we have covered. So yeah, that's a, that's a lot of them for a, for a nine-man bench. So yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not expecting much out of this game. I'll probably just watch it as a last hurrah for the season and hopefully we can go out with some with some respect. Not if we're gonna lose, not lose by too much. At least give them a decent game. Give the kids some minutes to write a very poetic start of a new dawn, <laughs> so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. The main thing I'm wondering about right now is, Jake, I just want to know if Bayern are absolutely bantering us by having last-minute inclusions to Jamal Musiala and Bright RAMB to their Champions League squad, because we know where they came from. 
I, I don't know. I, I'll be perfectly honest. I don't know. Uh, I Out of everyone that they could have added, they added those two. Um, yeah, I, 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 again, I really, I really don't know about that. Then again, uh, you guys decided to really banter us by uh, <laughs> putting up reminders of the 2012 final. So I think uh, all's fair in Champions League. Fair enough. I, I, yeah, I can get I can get behind that as reasoning. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, but as an aside, Jamal Musiala, obviously ex-Chelsea, has, uh, I think he made his senior debut post-lockdown and he played, he made his, I mean, that was actually before his full debut for the Bayern reserve side, which plays in the third division. So, and I think RAMB was part of the squad for a couple of friendlies. So, what do you make? What do you make of Musiala since he's uh, actually made his senior debut, which is pretty, pretty incredible, considering that probably wouldn't have happened for him as Chelsea this season, even though Frank Lampard is in charge at the moment. I'd like to, if I can, go on a little bit about Bayern Munich 2, the team that uh, that Jamal Musiala played the most for this year, a team that he scored two goals for this year. I think he's an incredibly important part of this team that won the German third division. I, I want to I repeat that again. In, German, in Germany, all of the reserve teams... Don't they don't play in their separate league, kind of like yeah. how the Premier League sets it up. They play against uh, professional and amateur sides, right? They play in the usually divisions three and down in the German soccer pyramid. Bayern won promotion from the uh, the fourth division to the third division this last year and they won the league they won the Dreiliga this year it's unbelievable to consider that technically while you do say yes this Bayern team won the domestic double after winning the Bundesliga and the DFB Pokal you could technically also say that they won the domestic treble because their reserve side won the third division over fully competent teams that have been in the Bundesliga in recent years. You have FC Kaiserslautern, who only finished 10th this year. You have our same in-town rivals, 1860 München, that finished 8th. Ingolstadt, which was a team that was in the Bundesliga in a matter of a couple of years ago, only fourth this year. Eintracht Braunschweig finished 3rd. Kaiserslautern. Bayern Munich 2 won the entire league. That's incredible. That are not necessarily world beaters, but really good and regardless. Sartreet Singh are one of the people that we mentioned in our last podcast, finished the season with seven goals. Kwasi Vriet, who has been (laughs) Bayern Munich uh, bench writer at times, but has mostly played in the second division, is going off to... Uh, Eredivisie side Willem Frey, and they yeah. and they were able to bag twenty four goals 
Yeah. Great score, 24 goals this season. It's an unbelievable tally and an unbelievable number that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Keeping going down this list, right? Jan Fita Arp was one of Bayern's biggest signings last year. He only got three goals, keeping in mind, though, he got injured. You have better players like Leon Dejaku, Olivier Batista Meyer, Sarpitin, Timo Kern, just team, team players that did not get the chance to excel at Byron's main side, the first team, the first 11, and the senior squad, were able to come out and perform well in and of themselves this year. Now, I do have to stipulate, right, In according to German soccer rules, nobody can go, German football rules, excuse me, I forgot I'm talking to a British podcast, um, <laughs> A reserve side cannot go above the third division. So yeah. while Bayern did win the league, they will be back playing in the third division this year. That yeah. means that the fourth place team, which was Ingolstadt, gets to go up to the second division along with Würzburger Kickers and Eintracht Braunschweig, as I had mentioned before. But yeah. to win the league, it, it, for them, it doesn't necessarily matter about promotion. To win the league is phenomenal. Now, going back to the point that you had asked about uh, the performances of Jamal Musiala, he's been phenomenal in our midfield. He hasn't always gotten starting time, but he's really provided a turn of pace coming off the bench. He's shown to be incredibly intelligent in his ball movement. So I think down the line, whether Bayern decides to use him or decides to sell him, I think he's going to for now, be incredibly helpful to the reserve side. And especially as Bayern, over the last couple of days, has really started to loan out players to top sides, you could probably see a lot more. And to that point there, Ram, uh, your boy Sarpeet Singh got loaned <laughs> out to uh, FC Nuremberg, so that will be I completely and- missed that. Was that recent? Yeah, that came out, I believe, yesterday and was confirmed this morning. In the oh, German super, so Zweite Bundesliga for him. That's cool. Yeah, Zweite Liga for him. So that's going to be a great step up for him, along with uh, Bayern. One of the Bayern reserve goalkeepers, Christian Fruchtel. Oh, but it'll I like him. Yeah. Both of them to break into that side because it is Zweite Liga football, and just because you come from Bayern doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get guaranteed starting time. But I really am rooting for Sarpreet Singh to break into that Nuremberg first team. Yeah, <laughs> me too. As as you can imagine. I yeah as as I mentioned before I think I think it's um, very convenient for Bayern to buy youngsters from all over the world and say that we have a pathway right here sitting in the third division of German mm-hmm. football which it, which is a decent standard to be fair Play, players have gone from there to the championship and done really well like Schindler and um, Heffeler and what what have you players who went mm-hmm. to Huddersfield who got promoted but yeah it, it's it's a good level someone like um, Reed and Cohen going to the Edivisie. Yeah, but anyway, that's that's cool. That's a uh, that's a very very big selling point for Bayern. Probably yeah. probably going to see Aaron Aaron Hickey in, in the third division as well. But yeah, we I we have um, admittedly pleasantly uh, digressed <laughs> for the last few minutes. So I think as far as as far as the game goes, those were all my thoughts. Jimmy, what about you? Well, really, um, 
said as much now i'm not really putting too many hopes in this i, I don't want to sound like uh someone who's already given up but essentially i have because the most important thing for me of course is to have some pride not like lose 10 nil or something like it's been bantered on on social media um but i would really like to see someone like for example uh, lewis bay or uh, ian matson doesn't have to be all of them that's unrealistic because we still have to pull up a fight we can't just roll over and with all the respect to our youngsters taking on such a potent Bayern team that 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 wouldn't be fair towards them because if they get slaughtered out there then you can already see the whole Chelsea fan base or no not the whole one but a lot of you know the uh, insecure keyboard warriors bantering down really going hard uh, hard down down on them hard sorry so uh, I'm sure Nampa won't just you know hang them out to dry in that sense but if we could see like uh, well, Tino Andrian, unfortunately, is injured, it seems. But, you know, someone like Ian Matson who can claim stake for that left-back position maybe next season ever, even. Because, say, we bring in someone like Ben Chilwell or, or any of the other options, you never know. Maybe Emerson and Marcus Alonso leave in the summer. Or he stays in the academy and he'd be this third uh, party who might get some, some minutes in the F, FA Cup, uh, that third spot, is at left-back. You never know. Um, but he'll 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 be out there to impress, and I really would like to see him back and get some minutes. That's basically my main takeaway of this game uh, coming up on the weekend. Because if Bayern, as Jacob already said, is going to play with this team, which has been so wickedly good, um, beating us with our A team, basically three uh, 0 then you know, let, let's be honest, even with Without all these injuries and suspensions, we'd have a really tough time. We'd, you know, we'd have it all to do, and even then, it would probably not be enough. But now, with all these injuries, you know, even the most positive of us will have to admit, you know, this is more about keeping it clean and tidy. Don't let in too many goals. Try and. Uh, catch by an out maybe we can get an early goal you never know and uh, just give some minutes to an one or two academy players and uh, don't take any risks because this is something that we have to keep in mind here um, if one of our Chelsea players were to injure himself get a hamstring injury like for example Pulisic and will be out for four five six weeks he'll miss the beginning of the season this isn't the end of the season like it would be in May where we said, oh, he's got the whole summer to recuperate. We actually, and it's kind of crass to think about this because it's just a little over a month until the beginning of the season. We actually have to look out who we field in the sense that don't feel Dengolo Kante. It's no point. Don't feel Christian Pulisic even if he thinks he's fit. Uh, some, I think Jake already said as much. Um, that is probably going to be that way. And I, I totally agree with Frank Lampard in that respect. Um, don't take any risks. There's no point. And yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I know this might sound weird because we're Chelsea. We want to win every game, but you know, we have to look at the bigger picture here and come the new season, things will change completely in that respect because then we have a team of and we have a, uh, a Hakim Zayesh. Uh, we, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to go all out here and say it. we're going to have 
Kai Havertz. Uh, and, you know, jinx it now. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but. Not if I to say about that. You, you what? I said, Sorry? not if I have anything to say about that. He knows where he wants to go and he wants to go to Bayern Munich. He's just going to have to live here and it'll be perfectly fine. <laughs> well, you know, maybe, but then again, they have shown that they are not in the market anymore. If I'm not mistaken, not only Rummenigge, but also um, Uli Hoeneß uh, said as much that we're not going to be in the market for any big targets anymore. And to be fair, his price tag is pretty excessive. So, yeah. But just before we come to the transfers, uh, just to round things off, even if most surely Chelsea will be leaving the Champions League, we'll be back in it very soon. That's the most important thing. And then we'll give this a completely new shot. where We'll have a clean slate. We'll have great in reinforcements and that's what we have to look forward to not try and go all out and risk injuries you know we've had so many problems this season with injuries and we don't need another one to plague us and come back binding us in the <clears throat> uh very soon at the start of the season so yeah i think we should be very cautious and just try and keep things clean and tidy as far as possible that's pretty much everything that i think about uh or my those are my thoughts on the buying game and yeah that's why i think we can actually continue and talk about a far more interesting uh topic <laughs> from a chelsea perspective i know for jake of course and all the other buying fans they'll be uh relishing the game uh because you know they they might go on to win it i think Bayern has as good a chance as anyone else um but for chelsea all the focus is on the on the transfer window because we have money to burn. We will be seeing lots of incoming players. We already have seen a few. And we will see a lot of players, players leaving. Um, be interesting to see who will leave because not all clubs have cash to burn like we do. But before we come to these potential wins, we already have one player that came from the Bundesliga and who we know has been fantastic this season. And one club that he will have played against at least twice this year, I'm not sure if Bayern played against them in, in the cup or something like that, uh, is Jake, of course. Timo Werner, would you have liked to have seen that at Bayern? There were huge rumours and, and links all year long that he could be joining Bayern. Were you relishing the thought of having him at Bayern? What do you think about Timo Werner? I'm going to say this about Timo Werner. I think that he is a incredibly phenomenal player. I think he's got a special eye for goal. He's got this incredible ability to look up and realize where the ball is on the pitch and find some way to get to it, anticipate things like low crosses, and he can hustle his way out to a goal that's more like a, a slight chip in if anything else, or he's got this great curled shot on his foot. I, I said in an interview before on, uh, I think it was a write-up interview that you guys published back when you initially signed him that I said that he's a little bit shorter, but you might have pipped Arsenal to the next Thierry Henry in the fact that 
I look at Werner and I look at Henri and I see similar abilities to work hard to get to their goals, uh, intelligence and great vision on the pitch to uh, time runs well, uh, and not to mention they can also just belt shots from the outside. Bayern played uh, Leipzig twice. It was a 1-1 draw and I believe a nil-nil draw. That's Yes, it was a nil-nil draw, just looking at my phone. Um, I would have loved to see Timo Werner on Bayern. I think the one problem is that we have nowhere to put him, so that's why we didn't get him. Um, if I were Chelsea fans, I wouldn't be concerned about if Timo Werner would supplant Tammy Abraham, and here's why. If you remember back to the German performance in the 2018 World Cup, there was a lot expected to come out of Timo Werner. Germany hasn't really produced a great striker ever since Miroslav Klose, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's probably still the case, because Timo, from what I've seen, is not a great out-and-out striker. He's not that good in a number nine role. In a number 10 role or in a second striker role, I think he excels there. And you saw that uh, not necessarily this season, but yes, definitely this season. But the season before, he had a really great partnership with uh, Denmark striker Yusuf Paulsen, and they were both able to feed off of each other very well. I can see a similar partnership being formed. If Frank Lampard plays him right, I think you could see a similar partnership formed between Tammy Abraham and Timo Werner. If I was has he, Chelsea, sorry, right, has he has he kind of been doing the same thing with Patrick Schick this season as well? Yes, yes, he has. Uh, Schick is a loanee from Roma, and I'm pretty sure they're going to go and buy him because. Paulson's been absolutely terrible this season, and he's probably on his way out the door within the next two years. But um, if I was the manager of Chelsea, I would absolutely stack a either a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3 with um, wingers being Ziyech on the right, uh, Pulisic on the left, and then... If you're in a 4-4-2, have like an offset 4-4-2 with one in front and one behind. Have Werner as that one behind and Abraham up front. Or if it's a 4-3-3, the wingers would obviously be the same. Have Abraham as that number nine and have Timo in a center attacking midfield role or like a more forward, uh, like almost like where a false nine would be. Uh, I think that's really where he excels. He, If he's given freedom to move around the box, he'll really, really excel for you guys. And again, if Bayern Munich had a need for that role, I imagine they would go out and get Timo. But that's not necessarily where they need somebody because Tomas Müller has been absolutely phenomenal this year. He led the Bundesliga in assists with 21 and I believe he was second in all of Europe behind Lionel Messi in terms of assists. So there's not anybody anytime soon that needs to come in and get that role, which is a mat, which is why I imagine we didn't go in for Kai Hoberts because we don't necessarily need a ball distributing number eight 
or ball distributing number six, and we definitely don't need a center attacking midfielder. So as much as I and probably many other Bayern fans would love to see Kai Havertz come to Bayern, I don't think that's going to happen this year. Next year may be a completely different story if he's still out on the market, but that's a bit off topic. I think Timo's going to do very well for you guys. I think Chelsea's a great destination for him, as much as it pains me to say that, but I think he will be incredibly productive for Chelsea if he's given the right position, the right attacking partner, and the right freedom to move about the uh, moving about the pitch in an attacking uh, in an attacking role. So, apart from these two signings in attack that Chelsea have been linked with, there was also there was a vague link. Well, maybe not so vague. It was it was kind of shady, to be honest. But I'm sure Jimmy will want to know your thoughts on David Alaba because Alaba has been a very prominent figure for the national team whose loyalties, I mean, <laughs> who Jimmy's loyalties lie with that national team. So Jimmy would like to know your thoughts on David Alaba as well as some, some bloke called Theo Hernandez who people have been citing as an alternative option. So, if you could be so kind, Jake. <laughs> Jimmy uh, would, yes. <laughs> um, Alaba is not going to go anywhere. Yeah, that's, what, so. that's what I'm thinking. Because if, if you asked me um, last year, around this time, ignoring everything happening with COVID. Whether or not I think that David Alaba could ever get supplanted at left back by anybody at Bayern Munich, I would absolutely, I would say absolutely not. There was no way in in the world that that would happen. But um, Alfonso Davies is a different breed. And I think what we've come to see is that what may be even more impressive than... Alfonso Davies' ability to switch from left mid to left back and absolutely dominate is David Alaba's transition from left back to center back. And here's why I say that. If you look over Bayern's injury history throughout this season, right? We start off full squad. Uh, we have an $89 million man in Luca Hernandez that just came in and joined us from Atletico Madrid. And I'm very excited to see him partnering up with Niklas Suda and they both go down within the first three months of the year with injuries. And now if you're Bayern, you're panicking because your options really are to have Benjamin Pavard at center back. You have uh, Lars Lucas Mai coming off the bench uh, from the youth academy. You might even have to go to Chris Richards in the youth academy because that left-back position is pretty secured by David Alaba, and that right-back position is pretty secured by Joshua Kimmich, and you're just stuck between those two. And then an absolute miracle happened. The first part of that miracle was that Joshua Kimmich demanded to be switched to center defensive midfield. And at the time, I was terrified, because... uh, the previous year, Benjamin Pavard did not do well 
at Stuttgart, at a Stuttgart team that got relegated to the Zweite Liga. But he came out and he put in quality performances week after week at right back. And it's pretty, as of right now, unless anything changes, I'm pretty sure that he's going to be our starting right back, maybe necessarily, maybe even of the future, right? So that was one side figured out. But then what about that left side, right? You couldn't, you could put Jerome Boateng at uh, the right side center back, but then you're stuck. You're stuck at uh, left center back and left back because there aren't many options that Byron can consistently call up on from the bottom. And what uh, what we saw was first Nico Kovac and then uh, Hansi Flick swapped David Alaba from left back to left center back praying and hoping that he would do well there and putting Alfonso Davies at left back, praying and hoping he would do well there. Both of those gambles paid off. They paid off so well to the point that Bayern at one time was linked with selling Luca Hernandez because David Alaba was so good at left center back. And that's leading me to say this. I think Bayern would move heaven and earth to make sure that David Alaba was playing on this team and very happy doing it. That's why I'm kind of shocked that the contract negotiations are taking so long for Byron to finally put pen to paper and get David Alaba to sign. But then again, this year is very weird. The season isn't over yet. The end of the season got pushed off until, I pray, the final week of August, depending on how well Byron do in this competition. But I really don't think he's going to go anywhere. And more so, I think he's going to be our starting center back for at least a couple of years now, which is not something I would expect it, right? Because beyond pace and power, he's incredibly good at left back in terms of pushing up the field and in terms of ball distribution, especially in terms of crosses. But now with Alfonso Davies doing that similarly, if not better, that allows Alaba to be a more central playmaker when he pushes up the field. He can start off Bayern's attacks from the midfield line and launch crosses, launch long balls up to the top. Bayern does have this tendency to get all 10 of its outfield players involved in ball movement and offensive attacking buildup. And... Alaba excels either at left back or at center back doing that. So I don't think Byron's going to sell him. And I'm sorry to you guys. I know you're in the market for some more defenders because Christensen and I can't even name a second center back, I guess, other than Kurt Zoo. Oh, uh, uh, Rudiger. Rudiger hasn't been that phenomenal. But you mentioned Theo Hernandez. I think that he is an interesting prospect. I think Chelsea might do a lot better signing Theo Hernandez than they would David Alaba because they have the time to develop him and they have the time to play him in a starting role. Um, Like his brother, he has the ability to play on a wing as well as playing at center back. He also likes to push up the field. Uh, He also likes to distribute the ball. So if that's something that you guys are in the market for, I think that would be... uh, I think that would be a good purchase and a great place to look. And I imagine that you wouldn't need more than 45 million euro to pry him from the hands of AC Milan. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I think, yeah, 
Jimmy Jimmy likes to Jimmy likes Tabadalaba a lot. So he like he at one point <laughs> he thought we may have had a chance of signing him, but it's uh it's good that oh, you put the right. <laughs> it's good that you put the final nail in that coffin, Jake. So yeah, Dabadalaba probably won't be going anywhere. And um yeah, I think as far as left backs go, I I feel like we might just end up with Ben Chilwell, all, all said and done, because there are there are these other options out there, like Tagliafico and uh, well, I'm sorry, probably gonna butcher the pronunciation, but the left back from Sevilla, uh, Reguilon, I'm not sure, uh, Hernandez, but. I, th- I think Lampard is pushing for Chilwell quite hard, and I'm kind of worried that we might end up spending a lot of money on that position. But, but yeah, I suppose only time will tell. Uh, I think Chilwell would be for you guys. In fairness, I think that would be. Do you? A, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I like him. See, I like him, and obviously he counts towards the the homegrown quota and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't know if paying sixty-five, seventy million is worth it. I don't think he's worth that much money. If if it was if it were about forty-five, fifty, then yeah, then I think Chelsea would do well to think about it. But not more than that. It's a I, I just feel as if that's obscene money for him. And he he's he's kind of had a a sophomore slump kind of season this year as well. He was he was he was better last year. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Places that you could spend that sixty-five to seventy million that I think you guys would be a little bit more desperate for, like um, like goalkeeper or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, the thing. Sorry, Ram, to cut in yeah. here, but uh, about the goalkeeper, there are so many factors coming into play there because with Capara's Balaga, we have someone who signed a seven-year deal when he joined us, and that's only been two years ago now, and. Um, I had been an ardent defender of him because I thought he was really good last season and we really seem to have a goalkeeper on our hands, a very good one. And I've really stuck by him for a long time this season, but in that that um, game against Liverpool, that was kind of the final nail in the coffin for me because that was just, I had enough. But it's just, you can't defend him. His stats, there are a lot of people not like Ram uh, who you know say uh, stats aren't everything and all that you know stats are very easily uh, manipulate uh, the view of something where you know normally he's much better player but in regard to Kappa he is absolutely down on his knees uh, down on his lack at the moment because he's completely out of form he's got no confidence whatsoever and he will need quite some time as someone who isn't really vocal as a goalkeeper who has got quite, you can quite blatantly see his his um, his downsides, his his uh, weaknesses. He will need loads of time, and he hasn't got that at Chelsea because we are in the time of rebuilding. But we need someone at the back who will uh, give our defenders confidence, and we need our defenders to have confidence. We won't be able to swap out our entire defense so we need a goalkeeper who will build we can build up from the back and be our backbone in this team 
like a Peter check was once. We'll never get Peter check again, you'd expect, but something no, quite no. that mold will be already, you know, just half that, half of that level. That'll be really great. Jan Oblet is a pipe dream, but it's not going to happen. Um, Ter Sagan was never going to happen too, but he just signed a new deal. So that's, that's done with. There is, of course, there are these rumors about Dean Henderson and all that, but, you know, it's not going to happen. We talked with the Busby Babe uh, boys in our last episode. It's, you know, they need a goalkeeper themselves. They'd be mad, and that's not going to happen. Manchester United is in the rebuilding process themselves, so that's not going to happen. There are not a lot of options, really good options to to resort to now, and Andrew Onana looks like the best of the bunch, and whoever doesn't know much about Andrew and I, and then I do very much recommend watching new man who's quite a well-known Twitter personality on uh, for Chelsea stuff to watch his um, tactics video or his analysis of Andrew and Anna. very good job he did there and mm-hmm. for 30 mil it seems like a bargain and talking about Ben Chilwell before for the money we'd have to pay, I am absolutely on the Nicola Tagliafico train because I think he brings in experience, what we need to um, more or less balance out the youth that we have in our team. He's defensively very sound. He can also attack. And because we have Reese James, who is really good at attacking, but has to still improve his defensive game in some areas, um, that will be a good compromise having him on the left especially as we will be playing with a very attacking minded uh, left winger so oh and if Lampard wants to play with the two attacking midfielders again which he will most certainly do if Kai Havertz comes in so in that respect Tagliafico makes the most sense he doesn't cost as much and we can invest that money into Havertz we can invest that money into for example Declan Rice can um argue whether he's worth those 60, 70 mil that's been touted to, to, but the thing is I'd rather pay that much for Declan Rice than for Ben Chilwell because Declan Rice, and this is ridiculous that I'm saying this because it's not only football in reasons, sure, but he's a Chelsea fan and I just admire that. I really love having players in, in our team that bleed blue as we like to say. And he will give him his all. He's already a captain or vice-captain at West Ham. He barks orders. He will throw himself in front of a shot. And that's what we need right now. Some grit, some some fight, some passion. Uh, and leaders, leaders, leaders. And he is one of those that will be coming up to be a leader. And if we were to secure a Declan Rice, um, whoever the left-back may be, but an upgrade... Andrea Nana, Kai Havertz, and the ones that we already have, then I think this is an absolutely outstanding window and one that we haven't seen since the very start of Roman Abramovich's tenure here. And maybe, you never know, we can then finally come out and say we can match Bayern at, well, okay, was it Stamford Bridge the first leg, but wherever, you know, whether that be in England or Germany. And that's what we want to aspire to, not only Bayern, but also Liverpool, Man City, push for the league, push for the Champions League. And I think with those signings, we might very much be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, I th- that, those are my thoughts on um, the transfer window. Um 
yeah, bam. Anything left to say? I mean, we I think we already have to wrap up here. Yeah, I think we've covered basically every position there was to cover. Um, discussed a lot of players, ones that we have signed, ones that we are close to signing, and ones that you wanted us to sign. But <laughs> yeah, and we've had we've had a lot of useful insight from Jake today. So thank you, Jake. It's been um, not only we we've not only had perspective from a Bayern point of view, but it's also been generally educational on how things are going at Bayern and uh, everything with the second team and what's going on with the German lower leagues as well. So that's been that's been cool. Evidently, you are a storehouse in knowledge. So thank you. Thank you for coming on. And hopefully, well, I mean, I don't mean it in a bad way, but I hope Chelsea don't get Bayern next, next season. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, guys, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, best of luck, I guess, in your uh, in your upcoming season with your transfer window. Just being American, I like to see Pulisic do well, and uh, with Werner there as well. Now, I guess I might have to watch a couple more Chelsea games than I normally yeah. do in a year. Sound <laughs> thanks. All right, then that's the end of this edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. From me, Ram, and from my co-host, Jimmy Funnel. This is us signing off.